I need you to grab your Bibles. Everyone turn to Matthew chapter seven. Matthew chapter seven, that's what we're gonna be today. Uh, looking forward to jumping into this, uh, this word uh, with us this morning because I think there's gonna be a lot of life on it. We are closing out this series called Time to Build. And what we've been doing is unpacking each week uh, the core elements of the culture that God is building here at our church. And so um, we believe that these things come straight from scripture and they are the traits that God carries that are gonna anchor us as a people. And so we've been unpacking all of that over the last several weeks. And so we're finishing that out and I want to finish uh, up um, this, this week and the next week uh, by just drilling down into to the heart of Jesus. And we're gonna cast some vision for next week, but what we wanna say is uh, let's anchor our hearts uh, in this truth uh, one more time this week and just trying to understand who God is and what, he want, what he's calling us to be. So uh, I'm gonna pray just for the preaching of the word and the declaration of uh, the scriptures, and then um, we'll dive in. So Father, I thank you for this moment to ultimately unpack who you are. That's what we want to do. Every way that you are, the ways that you think, the, the things that your heart beats for, the things that you hate, all of those things, the things that you love, the things that you treasure, everything that's a, the, who you are and the way that you think, we want that on us. And that's what it means to be conformed into your image. And so I'm just asking God that you would do that with us today and anchor us down in your truth and let us become more like you. I pray your word would be transformative over our lives. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I don't know if you've ever had, taken, had the opportunity to take stock of uh, the people that have been generous with you uh, in your life. Um, we love experiencing the generosity of others when someone just overwhelms you with kindness or mercy or goodness or even gifts. Uh, when, when I think of generosity, I immediately go to my parents. And not everybody gets to have that experience. So I, I've, I count it an incredible blessing. But when I think about my parents, what I think about is just lavish goodness and kindness and all that they have lavished on me and my family over the years. And I would say, especially my mom. My mom and dad are incredibly uh, gracious and very generous. But uh, my mom has, if, if you were looking, if you've ever read uh, the book, The Five Love Languages, one of those love languages is gift giving, giving gifts that people express their love through that. That is my mom to a T. And she has, over the years, gone above and beyond and provided and given and been so generous. That is how she expresses love. And so our kids, my, my, my kids have never, there's not a holiday that goes by that they're not receiving a card and kindness and goodies and gifts. And, and uh, you know, she's helped finance them. You know, my parents together with finance vacations for us and taking us places that we could never afford to do on our own. And it's been this incredible thing to be able to receive from them. And when you have that or when you experience that, I mean, your, your heart is completely and utterly humbled. And it's such a powerful experience. And I, I think every one of us could, could probably point to someone who's done some act of, uh, of generosity towards you that just, it almost stuns you. And you just go, man, I, I feel so unbelievably humbled by it. That's such a powerful picture when we get to see these acts of generosity. I, Jesus actually likes to, 
point out, in fact, he points out uh, the idea of generosity, especially coming from parents uh, in the Sermon on the Mount. And he wants to just give us a picture or a glimpse into um, the generosity of the Father. And so we're in Matthew 7, which is just a continuation of this incredible message that Jesus preaches to the masses, and we know it as the Sermon on the Mount. And he says this thing here in chapter 7, verse 9, and he makes this point, and he's going to point to parents' generosity. Here's what he's going to say. Which one of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish will give him a serpent. So he's asking this rhetorical question, all right? If, if, if uh, your kid comes to you with a need, and he's talking about needs here, right? He's not talking about, you know, your kid wants, you know, a second, you know, helping of ice cream and all this thing. You're like, hey, we can't give that to you because it's going to make you sick. We're not talking about that. We're talking about needs. We're talking about bread. We're talking about fish. We're talking about necessities. And the idea here is, is there a father who when the, a child comes to them for something they need, not something they want, but something they need, is that father going to look at them and say, no, nope, I'm not going to do that. I, no, no one, I don't know anyone uh, who has children that they love and treasure, that they would, and that's what Jesus is saying, is that they would send them away and not meet the need and make sure that they were taken care of. And so then he says, if that's true, in verse 11, if you then who are evil, and he's effectively saying, you guys, all of us who are sinful and broken, if we, even in our broken state, know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him. I want to just submit to you that what is so radical about God and what separates him from every other created or living thing is radical, unending, inexhaustive generosity. This is what makes God truly God. This is what, of course, there are so many things that define God being so different and above and other than all of creation. But this is one of those most defining things because God, even in the face of evil, will give out and be generous. Even in the face of obstinance, and, and uh, hard-heartedness who will still continue to be generous. We even see Jesus is being mocked as he's going to the cross and there is this generosity in him. It says in the scripture that they were reviling in him, but he did not revile in return, but he entrusted himself and he entrusted them to the one who judges righteously. So there's this spirit of radical generosity that is who God is. I, you can even think of the criminal on the cross next to Jesus and he's pleading to be remembered because he knows his life is a broken mess. And he just says, please don't forget me. And Jesus makes this incredible promise. It says, listen, you can spend entire portions of your life running from God, living for yourself. But at the moment at which you turn and just say, mercy, you are radically received. I mean, radically brought into this family without a second thought. 
That's how generous our God is. I love the story that Jesus tells. And you've heard, you know, it's said, it's called the, the, the prodigal son. And it's this picture of this story of a son who uh, is tired of his family. He uh, says, I'm leaving. I want my inheritance now. And the father says, okay. He gives him his inheritance. He runs off. He squanders everything. He's uh, in an absolute mess. He's lost all his life. And he's just coming back, trying to hope for the opportunity to just be a servant in his father's house. And Jesus is telling this story. And the crux of this story is really not on the son. It's on the father. And I want you to look at what it says, Luke 15. Because the son says to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. And I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. So he knows he's totally made a, a, a radical mistake. He's, he's taken the generosity of father and he squandered it. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. What is so scandalous about the gospel and what's so offensive, honestly, is how generous and how radically giving the father is. That people who can even make a mockery of God and spit in his face and turn their backs on him. The generosity of the father is to open his arms wide and say, in my son, come to me. That's who God is. This is the generous God we serve. But I want you to hear this. Generosity is who God is. And therefore, generosity is who we are becoming. You need to hear, it's amazing to look at the generosity of God and all he will do with his arms wide open to receive us no matter what and to give good gifts to his children. But if that's who God is, that's who we're becoming. If that's what he's like, church, that's what we're going to become like. This is a part of the journey. That any true journey in real faith is going to call us to rise up with that same spirit of generosity, that same attitude towards other people. And that's scandalous because that is not the way our culture lives. Everyone and, and, and the culture that we live in is always saying, look out for number one, make sure that you get taken care of. And this is the battle that we see day in and day out. What the Lord is saying is, I want my generosity to flow through your veins. This is who I am. Therefore, this is who you are called to be. And in a world that's constantly pressing to say, to say, make sure that you get taken care of, the Lord's saying, no, I want you to open your hands. That part of being conformed into the image of God is carrying that same generosity that the Father has had for us. And that when the generosity of God washes over us, what it does is it ultimately releases us to do the same, to become those same people. So herein lies this tension that's going on, especially in the world we live in, is that 
everyone has needs. Everyone. Every one of us. We all have emotional needs. We all have spiritual needs. We all have physical needs. And the fear that we carry, the fear that often plagues most of us at some point in time, if not all the time, is that there is not enough to go around. That whatever needs we feel for relationship, for time, for resources, whatever it is, our fear is we're going to walk and there's not going to be enough. And we walk around trying to hold on. And what we tend to do is in that fear, hoard and try to keep hold of. And so many things begin to break down and fall apart when we're not walking with the spirit of generosity, but with that spirit of fear that says, I'm not going to have enough. There's not going to be enough for me. That's the lie that we all tend to believe. And that's, I think, the lie that is pervasive throughout our culture is that you've got to watch out for yourself. To be sure, let's talk about this. Let's be honest. There are needs that we all have. Listen, there are bills to pay. There are mouths to feed. All right, there are businesses to build. There's recreation to enjoy. God knows all of these things. This is not new information for whatever the needs are that you have to be able to function in this life. That is all meaningful to him. He knows about it. But what we're going to see and what he's going to ask of us is this. Let us walk with all of our needs laid bare before him with our hands open, not clinching. The world says clinch and make sure that you're taken care of. The Lord's saying, open your hand up and trust me that with your hand open, I'll pour into you. And that whatever I give to you will be enough for you and to be able to give away. I want you to look to, at what uh, God says to the church in Corinth. It's a powerful matter um, because we, we all know we're supposed to be growing in faith and all the things that God wants to do. But look at what he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, this letter to this church. Verse 7, he says, But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness and in your love for us, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. So much fear that we walk in in this life is the worry that we won't have our needs met. And yet the Holy Spirit is saying to the church, this is an arena in your faith journey that I want you to excel in, in trusting me right? Not with your fists clenched, worrying that you're not going to have or you're not going to get. In fact, I, it reminds me, that spirit that wants to close its, its fists, it reminds me of, um, our, our family loves to watch Lord of the Rings. It's one of our kind of favorite movies. We'll watch it from time to time. And if you're familiar with the movie, even if you're not, you need to, it's like your homework, go watch it. So many incredible parallels to the kingdom of God. But there's a character in it called Gollum. And this character is absolutely obsessed with having the ring and his whole life is 
is circling, trying to have this ring. And he'll do whatever, even capitulate to being a slave or a servant uh, to, so he can be in proximity. And everything about him is, I have to have this ring. That same, and he's an incredibly gross and gruesome character and a pathetic in almost every way. But you see him, and the reason he's pathetic is because his whole life revolves around him not having everything. That's the spirit. That's the picture of the spirit that the Lord is trying to loose his people from and to say, you don't have to be like that. Where the culture is saying, there's not going to be enough. God is saying, I'm your father. There's nothing that you can't ask. I won't meet your needs, but you've got to trust me. I want you to have your hands open. That means you've got to be generous. So when Paul's talking to the church, he's saying, hey, Make sure that as you're excelling in faith and understanding and knowledge and you're growing in love for people, remember this, grow in the heart of generosity. Be ready to give. Have this spirit coursing through your veins. Now, uh, he actually, uh, uh, just like another chapter later, he's gonna liken this spirit um, to something you and I could absolutely get our heads around. If you are in agriculture, you're a farmer, or if you are an entrepreneur and you're trying to get something off the ground, you know exactly what he's going to talk about because he's going to give this spiritual principle. And this spiritual principle is going to make a ton of sense, but it feels a little bit backwards. And here's what he says. So 2 Corinthians chapter 9, you're flipping like another page over, verse 6, here's what he says. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly, will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Uh, we, everybody can experience, everybody's experienced this, even if you've uh, done like a little project with your kids where you put something in the ground. We had a garden uh, over this past spring and summer and we had some tomatoes. We we're gonna plant those. And then our, our neighbors, their family in our church, the Ruffs, they gave us some of their tomatoes. And so we had tons of tomatoes. So we had all these tomato plants. We put them in the ground. I can't even begin to tell you. We put these few seeds in the ground. We had tomatoes for days and days and days. And we're like, what are we going to do with all these tomatoes? It was overflowing. So my wife's like getting a like canning thing and she's canning and she's creating like tomato sauce and we're giving them away. And we can't keep up with the fact that we put these seeds in the ground and we've now have more tomatoes that we know what to do with. And this principle that the scripture is talking about here applies to all life. What it's saying is you put something in the ground. If you're going to just put a few in the ground, then you'll just get a, a few back. But if you are lavish in giving and planting and what the scripture says, sowing, if you'll be lavish in sowing, then you'll be lavish in reaping. That what God's saying is this, the first thing is first. We sow first and then we reap. And it feels backwards unless you've done this project. Unless you guys that are entrepreneurs, you know you have to put capital in, in order to get the thing off the ground. We know, we know what that looks like. And so he goes on to say, look in verse seven. Here's what he says. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly, not under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver, meaning the spirit and attitude with which you sow is critically important. And so he says, and God is able, look at this. God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Quoting a psalm. 
He who supplies seed to the sower. Now look at this. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and will increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. I don't know if you hear that, but the Lord's just shouting this out, right? That God provides as we live generously. God provides as we live generously. So he's ready to give, but he's asking us to partner with him in our generosity. That generosity is not just the foundation of our faith, but generosity is the foundation of all of the way that we do our resource, healthy finances, having a healthy home, all of this generosity is at the center of it. And so God's got this principle. You can worry and stress about all these things. And he's saying, will you open up your hands? You can stay in bondage, but open up your hands. You know that there's actually a study says uh, more than 70% of Americans say the biggest stressor of their life is finances, money. This is in the wealthiest nation in the history of the world. Even in a hard downturn economy, as many people are struggling through, uh, and, and many people have experienced this, not having enough. And there's this moment at which God says, if you'll trust me in this, I'm going to provide for you. And we've seen the Lord come through over and over, but money becomes one of the biggest stressors in our world. And the call is, how can we begin to open up our hands, right? How do we align ourselves with God's generosity, his heart for generosity? What do we do? What does it look like? And so I just want to, I just want to give you a couple of pointers from the scripture, and then we'll, we'll finish this morning. If you want to partner with God's heart for generosity, number one, generosity has to be a priority. It has to be a priority without question. This is where we start. It's not where we end. If you go back to verse six, we sow, then we reap. That's the priority. Now, really practical. I don't know if you've discovered this in life yet, but priorities are pretty funny uh, because you have to have priorities in order to actually be successful. But it always feels like there's something rising up to steal away the priorities, right? There's something that always feels more urgent or there's always something that feels better in the moment trying to pull us away. And so that is, that's true really in every walk of life, right? All priorities, working diligently, uh, eating better, exercising, prayer, time with family, all of those things that we might say are priorities. There's always feels like something that's grabbing at it and trying to pull away, pull us away from it. And the struggle in overcoming the urgent and the easy becomes incredibly important. And there's a secret. You know what the secret is? You know what the secret? The best way to make a priority is to prioritize it. There, that's my wisdom for the day. You can just take that home, all right? That's genius, right? That if a relationship or an activity is a priority, then it has to be actually scheduled out first. This is, this, this is, simple, this is the simple part of the plan here, is that if generosity is a part of what God's design is for our life, then we got to be willing to put it on the forefront. If you want generosity to be a priority, then you have to plan it. 
that that's a part of our life. We actually have to put that in line of our lives. That whatever it is that's coming to you, first we align ourselves with what God wants to do. That we make the plan to be generous. We do this as a family uh, to, to, to give to the Lord. Now, uh, the biblical expression of making a plan to be generous is, is known as tithing, right? It's tithe. And some people use the word tithe as a synonym for, I'm supposed to give some money to the church. That's not what tithe means at all. And, and in fact, let me just, as a quick aside, let me just say something. Uh, the church is not, a, the church at large has not a very good history because there's all kinds of manipulative things that the church often will do in order to try to get money. And there's not some, there's some not pretty parts of how the church has handled. You've seen scandals of uh, embezzlement and all those kinds of things, mismanagement of money. So listen, the church is not free of this. And so it can feel when any preacher starts talking about tithing that there's kind of this manipulative thing about it. But I want to tell you one of the greatest graces that I've ever had in the entirety of my life was that I had parents that were willing to say, hey, when I first had a job or when I was doing my chores is that we tithe. And what I have found is that God has always, always, always come through. He has never once failed me in any of the needs that I have. He's always been faithful. Tithe actually, it doesn't mean give a bunch of, sorry, give your money to the church. What it actually means is just 10%. Tithe actually means 10%. And so the principle of tithing is to say, God, the first 10% that I get is yours. I give it to you. And there are massive promises attached to trusting the Lord with this level of planned generosity, making this a priority. Malachi chapter three, verse eight says this, will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you in tithes and offerings? You're under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. Believe it or not, the only place in all of scripture where God says to test him and to prove him and to challenge him to show himself faithful is through our ties, through actually our finances. God's got this thing with generosity and our resource connected to our faith. And so we start with the tithe. The tithe is that foundational place of generosity where we're saying, God, you get the first thing. Everything that I have belongs to you, but I'm giving unto you. I'm trusting you with my present to say, Lord, I know you'll secure my future. Now, I understand how radical that is. The average charitable contributions in our society in America is less than 2%. So when you start talking about 10%, it sounds almost insane. And I get that. I understand that. But what, I, what we've been talking about is this radical heart of generosity. And we want to just say, Lord, whatever it is that's in your heart, that's what we want to have. That's who we want to be. And I'll tell you, I've seen it time and time and time again. The kingdom economics, the economics of God's kingdom are different than the world's. And there is one immutable truth that every one of us has to hold on to. 
And that is this, you will live greater on 90% than you will on 100. I don't know how the Lord does it. I honestly don't. My wife and I have seen miracle after miracle in our own lives just because we trust the Lord in giving. We do it. I don't, I don't call you or ask you to give if, if we weren't willing to do it. And we do it. We give our tithe to the Lord. We're faithful to do that because we know it's His. And in doing that, we've seen the Lord show up. We live better on 90% than we would on 100. And I've seen this happen over and over again. I wanna, we're gonna finish this moment with you just get a chance to hear a testimony from one of our elders uh, in this area of generosity and giving. Uh, And it's gonna astound you, the story, because it's so powerful, uh, the invitation the Lord had for him. So I want you to check out and hear the story from Ben DeBose. Good morning, New River. Ben DeBose here. Um, Keith asked me to share a testimony from a couple years ago uh, when Emily and I had first started our business. We were still very new new business. Uh, in 2016, we started this company. Emily had another job, and I was I was kind of seeing if this would work and as a real estate business. And um, went through 2016 and 2017. Kind of had the same struggles that all new startups have. Um, in 2017, Emily left her job and started working with me full time. And um, by the end of 2000 and 17 we had realized and we'd had an okay year it was we were you know happy and uh with how with the trajectory of the business everything and um we were just praying and realizing how difficult it is to tithe when you don't have a uh, a normal income uh regular income and we had been tithing but just it was like how do we plan for the tithe when when we don't know when or if we're going to make money this month. And so um, we're just praying and really felt like there was an invitation from the Lord. And I want to be clear, it did not feel like this, like, I want you to do this. It was, it was honestly and truly an invitation that we felt from the Lord to tithe based on what we hoped that we would make in 2018. And so um, we came to a number which happened to be two times what we'd ever made before and so it was a large number and it was uncomfortable and stretching but honestly when we started doing it we were just so expectant and so excited and so we started January 2018 tithing what we had hoped to based on what we had hoped to make in 2018 and interestingly, at the same time, I started another business, an ancillary business to my company. Um, it was a mortgage business down in Texas. And that business just sucked everything out of us. And when I say everything, I mean every dollar that I made in my real estate business uh, here, plus some, went out the door. Um, to that other business and was a complete loss uh, through the end of August of 2018. So we had a net uh, net loss and yet we were still tithing based on what we had hoped to make. We continued to feel that invitation was from the Lord. We continued to do it based on faith. I'm not gonna say that we weren't nervous sometimes, but um, you know, we had just um, resolved in our hearts that that's what we were that was an invitation we were accepting. 
And, um, and then an amazing thing happened. Q4 of 2018, from September through December, we were so blessed. I mean, you know, scripture says, test me in this and see if I don't throw open the floodgates of heaven. And honestly, I get the chills when I say it. That's what we were doing. We were testing the Lord and and seeing if he was good for, for his promise that he had made and good with this invitation that he had made. And from September to December, we were so immensely blessed that every, not only did we meet the goal that, that we had hoped to at the beginning of 2018, but we were actually having to find we were actually having to give more than. And so I just wanna encourage you guys that, man, um, God is a generous God. We serve a generous God. And he loves when we participate with him and become like him in generosity. So thanks for letting me share with you today and bless you guys. I love that story. I love the faith demonstrated there. And uh, I, I hope and pray God continues to give me that kind of faith. I hope that the Lord does this in all of us, uh, where the Lord puts something in front of us and we just say, Lord, I don't, know, I don't know what it looks like to be generous, but I just want to follow you. And whatever it is, we want to say yes to. I love that they felt that invitation. And I, I feel so thankful to be able to be partnered with, just with people who have that kind of faith coursing through their veins. And, you know, uh, at the end of the day, generosity is really not about tithing. Generosity is about who God is. And you might not even be tithing right now. It might not even be a thing in your life. That's not what this is really about. Ultimately, what the Lord's saying is, can we begin to open up our hands and be the people who sow and trust the Lord with the reaping, trust the Lord with the giving, the covering, the taking care of the needs. You may even be in a moment of struggle. 2020 and 2021 so far have been a disaster. And here's what we wanna say. Partner with the Lord. This with these texts and all these scriptures are here really and say, can we begin to trust the Lord on new levels to say, you're gonna be my provider. I don't know how it's gonna work. My wife and I have said this many times. I'm not sure how this is gonna work, but this is what we feel you calling us to. And so we're gonna trust you. And so let's be that way with generosity of spirit with each other. Because generosity, of course, goes so much further than just our finances. It's with our time. It's how we treat people, the way that we see the world around us. There's measures of generosity that God wants to bring up in us that go far, far, far beyond our pocketbook. I know that the Lord wants to do this work in us, and this is going to be an anchor in this church. We will be a generous people because we follow and serve a generous God. And I want to call you into that. I'm going to pray over us. We're going to close this thing out. And I'm just going to ask that God would grant to this church, to New River Fellowship, a spirit of generosity that is untouched in our city, that we give out of the overflow of knowing that we have a good father who will always give and cover us. And we stand firm because it's a part of the faith that God's building in us. And we know that, that we will reap a harvest in due time. We may not see it right away. We have to put it in the ground, but we'll trust him for it. Will you guys pray with me? And just, even as I'm praying over you, would you ask the Lord to do that work of generosity in your own heart? We'll trust him and see God do great things. Father, I thank you that you so care for us. 
I thank you that you care for every detail of our lives. You know all the needs that we have. You know all the bills that we have to pay. You know all the ways in which we feel fear at times because we're not sure if there'll be enough. You know the places in which we feel often bankrupt, whether it's emotionally or physically or spiritually. But Lord, none of that supersedes the goodness of your heart to call us near to you, to trust you, to walk with you, to open our hands up. So Father, I pray right now, I'm praying over our church, I'm praying over everyone that's joining in on this. God, would you help us to be generous? We thank you for the principle of first fruits to give to you, that that principle that says, God, I supremely trust you. But so far beyond that, Lord, make us generous with each other, generous with our words, generous with our hearts, generous with our coworkers and with our parents, generous with our children. Let generosity flow out of this church. I pray that everyone that comes in here would feel radically loved, that everyone that joins us, whether here or online, feels loved and valued and cared for, that your spirit of generosity would course through the veins of our church because that's who you are. And that's our heart cry. I thank you, Lord. I bless everyone that has joined us this morning with a spirit of generosity to love people well in this season. God, would you mark our church, mark us with your generosity. We love you. Help us to believe you and trust you by faith in all that we do. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.